0: Welcome to the new segment of the unyielded thriving no matter what podcast rise and thrive. I'm your host, Bobby Kaler. I wanted to create a super short segment that would be fuel for you so that you can make the absolute most out of this week that you've been given. Let's dive in to today's episode. Today, I want to talk about something that we have probably all heard dozens, if not hundreds of times in our lives, and it is only a half truth. And here it is. Practice makes perfect. As a coach, I can tell you with great certainty that only the right practice makes perfect. If we practice the wrong thing, or if we practice in the wrong way, not only does it not make perfect, but it can lead us away from our goals. If you've listened to the podcast, or if you know me, you know that I love cross-country skiing. One of the things that I heard about cross-country skiing before I ever did it was that it's really just like walking on skis. And let me tell you, that is absolutely wrong. There is technique involved in cross-country skiing. And to become really good at cross-country skiing, you have to learn and relentlessly practice those techniques. Mastering the techniques is what separates decent skiers from the good skiers and the good skiers from the great skiers. And then there's probably even another level, and that's, you know, separating the great skiers from the elite skiers. And what's interesting is the difference between all of those. Just take what separates the good skiers from the great skiers. It's actually nothing radical, except that the techniques have been refined just that little bit more. But that little bit of refinement is what allows one skier to go exponentially faster than the other skier. We are talking about refinements that allow one skier to get a little bit more out of their glide or push off a mere fraction of a second earlier or whose balance is exactly where it should be when you transfer your weight from one ski to the next. The tiniest of details, those tiny, tiny refinements lead to drastically Better results. And none of those techniques or refinements have anything at all to do with walking on your skis. Yet, often when I'm out skiing, I'll encounter beginner skiers doing their best to walk on their skis. And a side note that is a miserable experience. If you want to walk in the snow, put on snowshoes. You will have a better time. Walking on the snow in your skis is not a fun thing to do. Trust me. Skis were meant to be skied on, not walked on. Snowshoes were meant for walking on the snow. So when I encounter these folks and I can see that they're really trying and they're struggling and I can see that they're not having a good time, I'll often stop to talk to them and offer some encouragement. It usually comes up that they haven't taken a lesson as they were told, like I was, hey, all you have to do is learn how to walk on your skis. At that point, I usually share that while I was told that as well, that it actually didn't help me. What helped was to take a lesson so I could begin to learn the techniques, because no amount of practicing walking on skis is going to help me become a better skier. So in that case, the practice that we're doing won't lead us to the desired destination. Here are a couple professional examples where I've seen this. I was once coaching a sales professional, and while we were chatting before he made his call to the potential client, he was warm, he was personable, he was relatable. And I thought, he is going to crush this. And then he picked up the phone. And it was like a different person entered the room. He had this slick, kind of phony persona. After the call, which not surprisingly was exceedingly brief, I asked him, what was that? And he said, it's my sales persona. I've really been practicing it. In the gentlest but firmest way that I could, I told him to stop it. He was sabotaging himself. And I admire his commitment and his willingness to practice, but that was never going to lead him to his goals. Never. It was the wrong thing to practice. Here's another example. Years ago, I was coaching someone who was working on her communication, specifically at work with her colleagues and her boss. As I observed her interact with people. I noticed that when she would never come right out with a direct request for what she needed or what she wanted. Instead, she would drop hints. In our debrief, I brought that up, you know, what I had observed. And she said, with some amount of pride, she said, I've, you know, I've been working really hard on that. She'd actually been working on getting better at dropping hints. Yet her goal was to become a confident and empowering communicator. What she was practicing was actually at odds with her goal. Once we identified that, we landed on the skills that she could develop through practice and experimentation that would lead her in the direction that she wanted to go. So what can you do to make sure that your practice is on the mark? Here are a few things. Number one, the last two examples really illustrate this, but one of the most powerful things is to have someone that you trust observe you in your practice and give you feedback. That can be a coach, it can be a mentor, a trusted colleague, a friend, or a boss. Now, one thing I want to mention here is that there are different types of feedback. One type is the, here's what you need to change. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that feedback. It's good data. The other type of feedback is delivered in a way that leads you to learn to observe yourself in action so that you can give yourself feedback in the future. In the great coaching book, The Inner Game of Tennis by Tim Galway, he talks about the role of the coaches to help someone to do ju- just that, see themselves in action so that they can adjust in the future. Personally, I want the second type of feedback because I know that it is more powerful for the long term. And that's why I hire coaches for things like that, for things I want to get better at. Number two, find someone who's good at what you're trying to learn and ask them how they learned it. How did they practice? What did they practice? What led to their mastery of it? and number 3 become a student of the activity if you want to become a better communicator study good communicators you can watch videos of good communicators you can read and you can study the great speeches in history and you can really listen when you are on, in a meeting with a good communicator what are they doing how are they being what do you notice about how they craft their message don't don't just sit back and marvel at their ability begin to notice the details of what makes them good. So let me ask you this. Is there something that you've been practicing because you want to get better at it? If so, how could you apply one or more of these three strategies to make sure that your practice is on point? That wraps up today's episode. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. We appreciate the support. And if you're getting value from these, if you'd please do us a favor, On Apple, if you'd go there and leave us a positive rating and review, it will help us get noticed in the search engine, and therefore more people can benefit from these messages. And no matter what happens this week, make sure that you rise and thrive.